0: One of the most common questions people ask me as a pastor, and I'm always intrigued by it, and it's kind of interesting, a little odd that people would ask me this question. They ask me this question Do you believe in miracles? Like, I'm a pastor. That's like asking a meteorologist if he believes in weather, right? <laughs> yes, I believe in miracles. And I understand the baggage that comes with. The topic of miracles, I I get it. It's kind of a controversial thing. I mean, all this stuff that we find in the Bible that God did, that Jesus did, Old Testament, New Testament, and does that stuff still happen now, and if so, how and when, and how do you understand it all? I I, I get it. There's confusion, And, and even confusion that creates skepticism in a lot of people. I've met people that say, yeah, I'm all about God, and I believe God loves me, and I believe in Jesus, but I'm telling you, man, the miracle stuff, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I mean, I take God and I'm just, uh, I'm not so sure, you know. It's interesting. And that's why we're doing this series, this series on miracles is because we want to we talk about, it, dive into this stuff. And in order, I guess, for us to make progress, we need to define what miracle is. And we need to get on the same page. So I want to kind of throw out to you a couple of things because people people talk about miracles a lot and people are quick to label things a miracle. That was a miracle, that was a miracle, and Was it? Is it? How do you know? So let's talk about a couple definitions. Let's talk about the human side of the definition of a miracle. Okay, Because you and I use the word miracle in this context all the time. And it's perfectly normal and natural to do that. An extremely outstanding or unusual event, thing, or accomplishment. That was a miracle. right? You hear it in the sports world all the time. A sportscaster will talk about a catch, a football catch. That was a miracle. Or a basketball shot. That was a miracle shot. We hear about it in the context, in in times when people say things like, Oh, it's a miracle that I made it here on time. Or it's a miracle that I'm even here. Or for some of you, it may be, "Eh, it's a miracle that uh, she said yes. (laughs) It's a miracle that I have a date. We hear people talk about miracles of engineering and miracle inventions and all of this kind of stuff. So, so, you and I use the phrase miracle from the human side all the time, and that's perfectly normal and natural. But there's a God side. On the God side, the definition of miracle would be something like this an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs divine intervention in human affairs. And it is this definition that you and I are going to spend the next few weeks unpacking. Divine intervention in human affairs. We call it the supernatural, the unimaginable, the unthinkable, the unbelievable. It's when God steps in and does something that only a supernatural, holy, divine God could do. Something beyond you, something beyond me, something beyond us. And yeah, If you look at all the miracles that we, we know about from the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, they do seem to follow into a pattern of a lot of them have to do with nature. The calming of storms, the opening of blind eyes, as we will see today, the turning of water into wine a lot more quickly than water could become wine. If it you know, goes into the ground, becomes a grape, and then that way. We, we see the medical field affected a lot by miracles. As, as we look Old Testament, New Testament, and the Bible, we see the opening of blind eyes. Helping people who could not walk, walk. And there's always a spiritual element to the miracles that God did. When God steps in and does what only God can do. A few years ago, I was on my way home, and this was back when we were driving a minivan. And um, for those of you that are way too cool for you know the minivan stage where you obviously don't know what can come with raising two girls, it's a lot of stuff. And so you can't have a minivan, right? So I'm driving a minivan home, and um, I see this plume of smoke in the rearview mirror. I've told this story before. It's been a long time. So if you remember this story, just play along like you haven't, okay? Thanks. Plume of smoke. Oh, my goodness, there's smoke coming out from under the engine. What do you do? Well, I've been in this situation before, you know, having driven my share of older and aging cars. You know, you're like, oh, it's overheating. So, you know, you do, you get out and you know, you know what to expect, right? But this was a little bit different. And I didn't know it was going to be different at the time. So I pulled over and I opened the hood expecting to see, you know, a radiator that's spewing, you know, got a hole somewhere in a hose or something crazy like that. But as soon as I opened the hood, it ignited into flames. That's what happened to my hair. It <laughs> burned it clean off. No, I'm just kidding. I, I did that. took charge um anyway but it did it it, and so there's flames like 18 inch flames coming you know around the electrical stuff on my engine and all this stuff and immediately I was thinking oh god you got to help me you know and then within five seconds another minivan pulls up off the side of the road and out out pops this lady that immediately I knew as a lady that goes to our church and I'm thinking, great, now I've got company to watch my car burn to the ground. This is fun. I have an audience. I have to watch what I say. <laughs> you know, I'm just a pastor. So, anyway, no, no, no. I just, And then immediately, first words out of her mouth I've got a fire extinguisher. What? <laughs> Who has a fire extinguisher in their car? Other than the guys that drive the big red trucks, you know, I mean, the fire dudes. I mean, who has a fire extinguisher in their car? And so she gets a fire extinguisher out and we put the thing out. I mean, all this happened within seconds. I'm like, are you kidding me? The timing of all of this. I'm not sure how, you know, where she was coming from. And and then she went to this story about, hey, I was going this way and I decided that I wanted to go this way and I usually don't go this way. And it was getting like really eerie. Are, Are you saying that was a miracle? Well, I'm not going to call it a miracle necessarily because I want to be careful what I label as miracle and not. But I'll say this, it was definitely in the ballpark. <laughs> definitely in the ballpark, right? I, I guess, here's what I want you to know. At the very beginning of this series, and we've we got a lot of ground to cover over the next few weeks, so we're going to talk about a lot of amazing things. But at the very beginning of the series, here's what I want you to know about God. That anything he did, he can still do and more. And see, I believe that. And, and I know maybe some of you believe it. Now, some of you may go, I don't know, and, and you're not sure if you believe that. And that's okay. That's okay. You're in a safe place, and we're glad you're here. And it, it's, it's okay if you're at a place where I'm new to church, you know, I'm new to God, and I'm not so sure, you know, what I believe and if I can believe all that. That's okay. That's okay. But you just need to know that as someone who has dedicated the majority of their lives studying these things, there is no doubt in my mind. Anything God did do, God can still do and more. I don't ever want to be in a position where I limit God or try to put God in some type of proverbial box because he don't fit. He's just not going to fit in any kind of box that I make or that you make for him. Never want to limit God. However, I do want to be honest and let you know that there's a purpose for why Jesus did the miracles he did. There's a purpose for miracles. He's not just doing cool stuff for the sake of going, hey, watch this kind of thing. There's a purpose for it. So i want to show you. At the end of Jesus' first miracle, which is the miracle we're going to dive into in just a few moments. At the end of Jesus' first miracle, John records something that lets us into the purpose for why Jesus was doing these miracles to begin with. And I think this is so important. He says what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee, and we'll talk about Cana and Galilee in a minute and why that was important. It was the first of the signs, and the word sign there is another word for miracles. It was the first of the miracles through which, and here's the purpose, Jesus revealed his glory. And as a result, his disciples believed in him. It's the first of the miracles. And the purpose was revealing his glory. What does that mean? What's that about? Basically, it's Jesus did this to authorize his claim as son of God, to authenticate his claim as God in the flesh, as the Messiah, the chosen one sent from heaven. Because if you show up and you say, I'm the guy, I'm God in the flesh, I mean, you better back that up. And so the miracles were a part of Jesus authenticating who he said he was as God in flesh and bone. And so we come to the first miracle that's recorded. It's the first recorded miracle. I'm not saying it's the, it may or may not have been the absolute first miraculous thing Jesus ever did, but it's the first one we know about. First miracle, John records it in John chapter two. He turned water into wine. Let's read about it. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. So that's what Cana in Galilee was all about. And he, he, he wants us to know who was there. Jesus' mother was there. That's interesting. And Jesus and his disciples, and they had all been invited to the wedding. So he wants us to make sure we know who was there. Now, now watch. Here's the problem. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Now, pause. Now, pause. It's very important for us to remember these are real people in real situations who have real emotions and real common conversations, okay? Jesus had a mom, and and, and she was not divine, supernatural. She was human being mom, which means she said mom things and did mom things and gave mom looks, and she was mom, and it made Jesus feel, no doubt, from time to time, mom. You know, like all of us, I mean, she was a mom. And so you're getting ready to peer into a mom and her son interaction. To me, it's fascinating. Mary comes over to Jesus and goes, They have no more wine. But in my mind, I picture it, she's saying it like a mom. Like, where, you know, a mom, her eyes get kind of wide and she looks right through you and goes, They have no more wine. Because Jesus knew they didn't have any more wine. He was Jesus. Jesus knew the wine was running out before the wine ran out. He's Jesus. Jesus knows everything. Jesus didn't need Mary to tell him they had no more wine. He didn't need his mom to point it out. She wasn't pointing it out because Jesus didn't know. She was letting Jesus know because what are you going to do about it? Sonny. Right? Now watch this. This was Jesus' response. Woman? Why do you involve me? my hour's not yet come. (laughs) Now see, this is why this is funny to me and you, because we know you don't talk to mama like that. You say that to your mama and your jaw's going to get jacked. You you just can't talk to mama like that. But wait, 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 wait. Here's where Hebrew culture is different than English culture. We, We live in an English culture, American culture. You can't say that to mama. You can't call mama woman unless you want that the last thing you ever call your mama to be. Right? It's just, just disrespectful. In Hebrew culture, this was not disrespectful. Jesus was not being disrespectful to his mother. He was in a public place, surrounded with a lot of people, a lot of people watching, a lot of people listening to this conversation. In Hebrew culture, he was just addressing her and as an elder woman. It wasn't with woman, you know. It, it wasn't an attitude kind of thing. It was woman. Why do you involve me? Now, now here again, mom, son, my hour has not yet come. Which means, mom, this wasn't the plan, mom, mom. You know, okay, I, I wasn't invited here to do a miracle, mom. You know, kind of thing. You can just kind of see this. This is so fascinating to me, and, and and then watch what she says. His mother then turns to the servants, doesn't talk to Jesus anymore. Turns to the servants and says, "Just do whatever he tells you to do." I can. Can you not see? I mean, to me, it's just like, you do whatever he tells you to do. And I can envision her walking off kind of giving Jesus a look. Because mama knows what he can do. Mama knows. Didn't mama know? Mama knows. And it says, okay, okay. So so enough of that. That's just fascinating background to me. So let's get into the guts of what Jesus did here. Nearby stood six stone water jars. The kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. We're talking big, big jars, containers here, okay? We're not talking about a mason jar. We're not talking about, you know, the, the, what you'd put white lightning in, you know, moonshine, or nothing like that. Okay, we're, we're talking, these are big. Think 50-gallon barrels, but a, but a little bit smaller. Big, big, big time stuff. Get six of those things and fill them full of water, Jesus said. So they filled them to the brim, and that probably took a little bit of time, But watch what happens next. Then Jesus told them, now draw some out, draw this water out, and take it to the master of the banquet, the guy that's in charge of putting on the party. So they did, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Now when was the water turned into wine? We don't know. Was it in going into the jars? Was it when they were carrying it from point A to point B? Was it when he dipped out? It doesn't matter. And it really, I mean, you you can agree to disagree on that. The point is, Jesus turned water into wine. I love this this next part. Look at this. Now, now the guy was in charge of the party. He he didn't realize where it had come from. He had no idea. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. Mind blown. Like, did you guys just see what happened? Did you put water? I put water. Did you put water? Yeah, I put water. Did you put water? We all put water. This is wine. We can see it. We can smell it. Oh, my goodness. Now, big debate. Big debate. Growing up in church world. Well, was this real wine? Right? Because, see, I grew up Baptist. And um, we were still struggling with the fact that Jesus was even at a party that served wine to begin with. (laughs) Right? Like, he should have turned the invitation down. I can't believe he's even there, right? So, yeah, See, I, I'm not a Baptist anymore. I've I've been to all my meetings and done my recovery and I got my chip and all that stuff. So, <laughs> like, was it real wine? Here, here's the interesting. I was taught. I was taught in, in church context. This was not real wine. Not as we know wine today. This 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 wasn't real. It was like just kind of like grape juice. Yeah, they have no basis for that at all. We had no basis for that at all, other than the fact that as Baptists, if we admitted this was real stuff, it screwed up our theology and would say that it would mean that the Presbyterians were were more right, and we shouldn't certainly couldn't allow that. So right? <laughs> I'm sorry, it's inside jokes. Oh, oh okay. So the question, was, was this real wine? All indicators was certainly this was real, genuine, real stuff. Real stuff, real wine. And this is how we know. Watch what happens next. Then the guy in charge of the party calls over the groom and he he said, hey, listen, man, what's going on here? He said, this is the way it usually goes. Everyone brings out, you know, the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine when the guests have had too much to drink. He said, listen, listen, you got to explain to me what's going on because we know the way this goes, right? You you got the nice wine when people are like, oh, this is such a nice party. This is great. Good year. Good year. Good year. This is great. And then when they've had too much to drink, you bring out the box stuff that you got at Walmart. You know, you bring that stuff out and and they don't know the difference. They have no idea. But he said, but wait a second, you have saved the best till now. Which is a departure from the norm. And, the, and the, this guy who had no indicator that this guy was a Christ follower, no indicator that he was paid to say so. If any, he's just a normal guy in a normal Jewish culture, and he's just throwing a great party. And his assessment was: this is the best wine we've had today. This is the best wine that this, this party has seen. You've saved the best until last. Interesting word best there. Um, in the Greek, the word best is where we get our phrase dilly-dilly. <laughs> <laughs> No, I made that last part up. But this joke I've been holding on to for about six months, so I'm glad to get that one off my chest. I'm seriously, I wrote this down about six months ago, and so thank you. Jesus turned water into wine. Now, at, at this point, some of you who are having a hard time enjoying yourselves right now because of the topic, you're wrestling with this question. So what about drinking alcoholic beverages? So let's take a few minutes and dive into it. It's a natural question especially in our culture. Natural question. God, I know some of you are thinking, well, if Jesus made the stuff, we're good to go. (laughs) Right? Well, Jesus made it. Let's go. You know, wait, 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 wait. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. It's a little bit more layered than that. But it's something we can still get our, our arms around. You see, God actually created many things that in and of themselves are just fine. But if they are used unwisely, without caution, carelessly or foolishly, become destructive. Fire is an example. Where would we be without the responsible use of fire? Wow, I mean... The Industrial Revolution would have never happened. We wouldn't have so much of what we enjoy today without fire. But yet, if used irresponsibly, without caution, and carelessly, fire, something God created, can be very destructive. Water is the same way. Atoms are the same way. A-T-O-M-S, atoms. Tiny little suckers that are so important, and God made them, and they're building blocks, and they make make everything, and they're in there just spinning around doing their things, protons and neutrons, electrons, all that kind of stuff. But if you split one, uh uh-oh, you got a bomb. A lot of destruction it can cause. Plants are the same way. God created plants. Aren't we thankful God created plants? But there are certain plants that God created that if you dry them, roll them and smoke them, they become harmful and destructive. That's funny to you because you're not in Oregon or Colorado. If this church was in Oregon or Colorado, they'd be going, what do you mean, man? I don't get it. Sex. God created sex. Thank you, God. Genius. One of his greatest, greatest inventions. But if sex, God created, good thing, is taken out of its God-intended context, it becomes something that is unhealthy and can be harmful. Are are, are you with me here? You, you You see what I'm saying? God created grapes. Jesus made wine, real wine, instantaneously great wine. But if used... Carelessly, foolishly, irresponsibly, and not with caution and wisdom it can be destructive. In fact, some of you have experienced the pain that the irresponsible use of alcohol can bring. Maybe your parents were alcoholics. Maybe someone you love was killed in an auto accident because someone was drinking under the influence. I'm so sorry. And you know full well the irresponsible use and the danger and destruction. I can bring. That does not mean that the thing itself is a right or wrong thing. It is how it is used and in the context in which it is given. So let me let me just say a few things real real quick here. God challenges us to obey the law of our culture, to obey the law of our land. So if you're not 21, this is not even a question, right? I mean, if you're not 21, I mean it's illegal. Period. I don't care if, well, mom, mom, dad bought it, and they say it's fine if we're here. No, then they made an unwise choice, because it's against the law. This is a right or wrong, black and white kind of thing. Those of you that like things black and white, okay, great. The age is it's clear in our, in our culture. Now, if that changes, then we can, we can talk about all that at another time. But that's, right now, it's 21. Secondly, it is absolutely clear in the scriptures that drunkenness is wrong, that God condemns drunkenness which is wine in excess, right? Alcohol in excess, something that is fermented in excess. God actually cautions us against a lot of things in excess because a lot of good things in excess become bad things and harmful things. Food is one of them. Food, a good thing. Too much food, it's called gluttony, and you're going to be unhealthy, and you're going to make yourself sick, and you're going to hurt yourself. Sleep is a good thing. God created sleep. Gotta get the right amount. If you get too little, it's harmful. If you get way too much, also harmful. Work. God created work. It's a good thing. Work in excess, though, is harmful. And actually God warns against. So if this is an issue of not, those of you just, well, I just want to know, yes or no, right or wrong, it's more layered than that. It's more layered than that. Here's the principle that I want you to tattoo on your brain when you think about alcoholic beverages and Christians, should God, you know, does God want us to, yes or no, and all that kind of stuff. Here's a principle, tattoo on your brains. You know, tattoos, that's another one. We'll talk about that another time. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> just it's fun and with you, lighten up. Here we go, freedom with wisdom, freedom with wisdom, freedom with wisdom that's the principle that should guide our approach to this topic whether or not we should drink this put more emphasis on wisdom than freedom and you're okay if you put more emphasis on freedom than wisdom you're gonna find yourself into some dangerous territory really quick because just because you can doesn't mean you should Just because it may not be wrong doesn't mean it's wise. And as a result, just because it's not wrong doesn't mean it's necessarily right in the context that you might be in. It's called wisdom. If you have a past where you have abused alcohol and it become dangerous to you and to others and you have an alcoholic tendency, it's not wise for you. Better off just to leave this stuff alone. Likewise, let's say you're like, man, no, I've never had a problem. That's not me. You know, that's, no, 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 okay, okay. But even if you are in the context where other people are around you that would be offended, it's unwise. Do you know why? Because God goes to great lengths to help us understand in several places throughout the New Testament, if we had time, I could unpack them for you. Maybe we'll do that at another time. But he's very clear that we don't want to do things that spiritually hinder the spiritual mature, maturity and growth of other people around us. So even though you can have that to drink, if you are in a an environment where if this person saw you or if they are watching and they noticed, then they're going to be offended or they're going to Ask questions like, well, well, maybe then I should, and they have an alcoholic past, and it leads them down a bad road. See, this is not just a black and white thing. This is not just yes or no. It's more layered than that. This is wise. It's not about should, can I, it's should I in this moment. And you always want to be careful when you find yourself flaunting, right? When you find yourself like, hey, look at it, hey, you know, okay, what's the purpose of it? Well, it's just a good time, I know, but you be careful, Careful what you deem a good time and what you allow yourself to do without thinking how is this going to affect others who see this and who I'm around. And in the days of social media, you really want to be cautious about what you post, right? Because, see, no one knows context, pictures don't tell you context. They take a snapshot, and you go, oh, well, you see, and so just freedom with wisdom, freedom with wisdom, freedom with wisdom. I I hope you've got that, and and that's so layered. But err on the side of wisdom. Focus more on the wisdom than you do the freedom, and you'll be okay. Let me me leave you with some takeaways, because to me, uh, I think one of the reasons pastors and teachers kind of shy away from this water-to-wine miracle thing is like, we don't even know what to do with that. We don't even know what does this mean for us. What does this mean? How does this affect my life? What does this miracle mean for my day-to-day life? Well, plenty, actually, if you stop and think about it. So let me give you just some things at the beginning of this series. Water to wine, incredible miracle. But what's that about and what do we learn? A few thoughts. You might want to take pictures of this or write them down. It teaches us that Jesus involves himself in the details of human life. To me that's that's an amazing reality. The fact that the God of the universe would involve himself in the details of humanity at all is is fascinating to me. Now, now to be fair and to be honest and to be thorough, he doesn't involve himself in every detail to the same degree because there were sick people he didn't heal. There were storms he didn't calm. But yet he he can and he does these things and the fact that he gets involved at all in in human affairs is mind blowing to me because he certainly is under no obligation to do so so I don't know what you're facing I I don't know what's going on in your life but you need to be encouraged by this miracle working God that he cares enough about us and you to get involved in the details of human lives it's amazing here's another one I think it's fascinating is that Jesus his pattern is he saves the best for last this is what he did with the wine. We're going to make the best stuff last, which means he's a God of excellence, which is great news for us. Jesus never half healed anybody. It's like, oh, uh, he can mostly walk. He drags his leg a little bit. <laughs> no, he can mostly see. No, now what Jesus did, he did well. He did with excellence. And here's why this is so important to me and you, that he lets us know that you can never snapshot the moment and assume the end. Not with Jesus, okay? Because the moment is, we have no more wine. What are we going to do? Jesus cares about that detail. He cares about wine at a wedding. Are you kidding me? And then he says, well, you don't, don't snapshot a moment and assume the ending because I may do something miraculous in between now and the ending, which changes the outcome of the ending. So, so I don't know what's going on in your life. Don't, don't snapshot the moment and assume you're ending. Don't don't do that because God is a God of miracles. Anything he did do, he can still do. So hold on. Here's the other thing I want you to be encouraged by is that Jesus has used the common. He uses the common to do the miraculous. He uses common things. Water. Pretty common. And and he and he uses common people. Which is good news for you and me, because we're common. And he, and he uses common ways. Most of the time, he catches people by surprise. Most of the miracles he did were done in context where people didn't see it coming. They had no idea. Now, some people came to Jesus, you know, asking him for certain things and expecting. And, and there's a lot of talk in the Christian world, you know, expect your miracle, claim your miracle, lay claim to your miracle. And I'm not saying all that's bad, but I think you have to be careful there because it can get us going down the wrong path. That most of what Jesus did with the miracles was like no one saw it coming. Out of the blue, boom. And authenticated who he was as the Son of God. And and before I leave you, to go back to is to whatever it is you're doing, you're facing, beginning of this series and you think of miracles, I want you to know this right here. Know that God can do miracles, that God does do miracles, because anything he can do, he can still do, and he just might do one for you. You say, well, oh, man, okay, when, where? I, I don't know, I don't know. Like, are, are, like t- Tell me what, I, I wish I could tell you you honestly and I honestly have to learn what it means to trust his wisdom and his timing which we're going to see next week by the way we're going to see that next week that the timing of what God does is so very important and that he often does the miraculous through timing that you and I go wait a second that's not what I wanted and he does something even better but know this I don't know what you're facing when is God going to turn it around I don't know it's got to go do something miraculous. I'm not sure. But he can do that. He does do things like that. And he just might do that for you. And if he doesn't, and if he doesn't, the next time, this is what you know. He can. He does. And this next time, he just might. You say, well, that's wishful thinking. No, it's not. It's us as human beings trying to learn what it means to live in trust and faith in our God who is above us and beyond us and is all-powerful and all-knowing and loves us more than we can imagine. And sometimes I wish I could dictate to God, okay, if you love me, then do that miracle and do this miracle and do that miracle over there. And that's when I have to be reminded of, I'm the human, he's God. And So my job is to know he can, he does, and he just might. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus raising a dead man. And lest you think, well, that doesn't have anything to do with my life, I'm alive. I want to tell you, next week, we're going to give you some hope. I was blown away how much hope there is for you and me in Jesus raising a dead man 2,000 years ago but until then no, he can he does and he might let me pray for you Father we thank you for being a God who cares about the details of our lives in ways that mostly we we can't even fathom more details you're involved in than we know and, and that communicates your love for us but yet there's no guarantee that everything we want you to do, you're going to do the way we want you to do it. So help us to trust that you always save the best to last. And It seems like your pattern is that we need to make sure we're not looking in the moment and assuming the ending because you just have a way of doing miraculous things between now and later in doing what only you can do, how you step in and do miracles. And may we know that you will take the common things and do divinely miraculous things with them in our lives. So we look to you, the God, who anything you did do, you can still do. And we declare that you can do miracles, and you do miracles, and you just might do them in our lives right now. We thank you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.